Okay, good morning. Morning. So uh, I'm going to go to our uh, reading and uh, message now. The reading, we're just going back to Colossians to finish this book. You may remember we were working through Colossians, then we had Climate Sunday and Remembrance and a couple of other things going on. So we're finishing up with Colossians chapter 4 today. And I'm just going to read the whole chapter. It's not very long. So Paul writing to the church at Colossae ends his letter in this way. Devote yourselves to prayer, he says, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace and seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that's happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is also called Justus, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ, sends greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you, so that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you, and those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea, and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see to it that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete your ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray then as we, as we open this word. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you, Lord, for this word, Lord, for this message to this church almost 2,000 years ago in what we now call Turkey. Um, you've written into a time, into a place, and, and with specific people in mind. But today, Lord, we believe you have a message for us too. So we pray, Lord, that uh, that would become clear over these next minutes, Lord. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Speak your words, Father, that uh, help people who listen today, Lord. May their ears be open and their hearts attentive. And if there are any words that are from me, may they fall away, Lord. But may the words from you reach the place in their hearts, be homed, be remembered, and be acted on in Jesus' name. Amen. So can I have the first... um, of my slides up. So this is one of those passages where, um, you know, you think, basically, when I come to it, I thought, well, what am I going to say about this? This is like Paul saying, well, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from him. Say hi to him and hi to him. And if you see this chap, don't forget to tell him this and that. I thought, well, what's all that about? But actually, um, there's a lot of interesting trivia, actually, in that passage. If you, if you were listening, Mark and Luke, the gospel writers, are called out, and Barnabas. 
uh, Onesimus, who was almost certainly the runaway slave in, uh, in the letter uh, to Philemon later. And we also hear of letters that we don't have today. We have some letters of Paul. We don't have all of them. We don't have his letter to the church at Laodicea, which is one of the letters that we don't have. But today, actually, I think there is something um, that is relevant to us today. And I think, it actually, it's in the very uh, start of this uh, passage. So after reading and rereading it many times, which I did, this is what popped out to me, these words at the start, where Paul says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let your conversations be full of grace and seasoned with salt. Are are we known, are you known, for your conversations with people that you uh, socialize with, that you work with? Are you known as a good listener by people who know you? What does it mean for our conversations to be full of grace, seasoned with salt? What does that mean? And all the places that we, uh, that we go to, whether that's a young mums group or a book club or the golf club, all that hardest of places are secular workplaces. A couple of things before getting into this. The emphasis of what Paul is saying is, He's saying, let your conversations be full of grace, seasoned with salt. And he's talking about with non-believers, with secular folks, in those other places that are not church. Paul does talk in other places about how we are to be in church. And we at LBC have spoken about that many times, I think. And we will do again. But today, he's talking about relationships outside church. He's talking about good relationships, organic relationships that should grow. Relationships which are relational and not just transactional, as they often can be. Ways of being with people or socializing that actually will grow over time. And today I want to focus on one of those places, which is the workplace, which is something we don't often talk about here at LBC, our secular workplaces. Um, I know not all of you are in paid employment elsewhere. So I hope that uh, in some way what I say today may be relevant for you, whether it's a young mums group or your work at home or the golf club or the neighborly chat, but primarily I will focus on the workplace. So full of grace seasoned with salt, what, what, he, what does he mean? Let's just talk briefly about those two words. Grace is a huge term, isn't it? Massively important. I'm only going to spend a minute on it. It's a, it's, a, it's a short word. You can spit it out almost without thinking. It's a word that's common in the English language, and we can almost misuse it because, it, because we're so familiar with it. It's a girl's name, a lovely girl's name. It's uh, when, when people demand money from us, they can sometimes give us a grace period to pay back. It's sometimes what we say before a meal. In music, a grace note before a main note adds interest and character and personality to the line of music. Grace is used in many different senses, but in our gospel, uh, in our gospel, in the Christian gospel, it means overwhelming kindness, God's overwhelming kindness to people who can do nothing to earn it. God's overwhelming kindness to people who can, un- who can do nothing to earn it. <clears throat> so then, if that's a simple definition of grace, let's look at this next word then. He says, seasoned with salt. Seasoned with salt, says Paul. Did you know that um, in Lim there was a, a salt rush, the great salt rush? In California, they had the great gold rush. We did better than that. We had a great salt rush at the beginning of the 20th century. Didn't get, become quite as rich. But salt actually is important to our area 
And it's vitally important in the Bible. Salt actually comes up when I looked into it over 40 times in Scripture. Right from uh, Sodom and Gomorrah where Lot's wife gets turned into salt. Right up to Jesus saying in Matthew chapter 5, you need to be like salt. You are the salt, he says. You are the salt of the earth. Let's look at that statement of Jesus, which I think is the key statement about salt in Scripture. You are the salt of the earth, he said. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. If the salt loses its saltiness, how is it, how is it good for anything? Or in the, in the King James Version, ye are the salt of the earth, says that old version. If the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? If the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? There are many issues with the King James Version of the Bible, but when it comes to poetry, it's still unsurpassed, I believe. So you are the salt of the earth, says Jesus. A salt has multiple uses, doesn't it? It's a preservative, and particularly in the past, before they had fridges, it was used to preserve meat. But one important use is a flavor-enhancing agent to food, to enhance the flavor, to bring out the natural flavors, the best flavors in food. In fact, I read this week that actually salt, working with some plants and vegetables, can break down the cell walls in the vegetables to release the flavor. I thought, what a great idea. And that releasing of flavor is almost unique to salt. It's almost a unique characteristic of salt. And, as I'm always told at dinner, you only need a little salt, don't you? You only need a little. Some would say none, but you need a little. Seasoned with salt, then. So, we are to be the seasoning agent in the world, which then means we are ourselves to enhance, to bring out the best flavors in the, in the world around us. To bring out the flavor in the world around us. To enhance, to bring out the flavor. So, we are to, be, uh, to show kindness to people who don't need to earn it, grace. And we are to be an, enhancement, an enhancer, to bring out the best of those around us. Which sounds great, doesn't it? And it's okay on a Sunday morning, we're all very polite and saying good morning to each other and nice things. But how does that work in the, in the real world out there? How does that work? How are we meant to be grace and salt? So putting these together then, Paul says again, again, let your conversations be filled with grace and seasoned with salt. What does that mean in, in the real world? It's a tough world out there. So how does it work out there? And particularly today in the world of work, um, we spend most of our waking hours at our workplaces or online doing work, most of our waking lives. Uh, Whether it's face-to-face or online, increasingly it has been online, and increasingly it's in the evenings, not just the days as well, isn't it, for many people. Work can be a wonderful place. We can feel we're achieving, we have purpose, um, we we make friends, we feel valued. But also work can be a tough place, an incredibly tough place. In the worst places, it can be a place of toxic relationships, of immense pressure, of huge tiredness and weariness. So how are we meant to have conversations full of grace, seasoned with salt, sometimes in hostile environments? A couple of examples from my my personal experience. About 15 years ago, I worked for a small tech company based in Greater Manchester. And the chap who founded the company, I call him Pete, it's not his name, uh, a a, a working-class guy who made made this company out of nothing, built it up, 120 people, 
um, paying for our livelihoods, our mortgages, helping us to, uh, to, to sustain our families. He was a very astute, very sharp guy. I don't believe he ever made a wrong decision in business. I don't believe he did in all the years I knew him. But Pete was also deeply controlling and utterly uncaring. Um, it was very unsettling working for him in lots of ways. He led a culture, which I would say, of fear. Pete would decide in five minutes, you were either really good or you were rubbish. And if you were rubbish, there was no way back. You exited the organization eventually. I found him very unpredictable and demanding. I remember several times just, for example, being CC'd on an email that would fly past that says, oh, Chris needs to be in wherever it was, Beijing, San Francisco, Johannesburg. And the next week I'd be on a plane going there. It didn't matter what I had going on at work or at home. You just had to do that. Worse than that, a friend of mine used to report to Pete once a week on a big project, the biggest project we had in the company. And my friend, quite often, before he went to see Pete, would be physically sick in the toilet. He was so afraid of going in to see this guy. He liked to control. He would take staff out to lap dance bars in Manchester, whether they wanted to or not. You needed a lot of character to stand up to him and say, do you know what, I don't really want to go to that. Otherwise, people were dragged along. How do you have conversations filled with grace and seasoned with salt in, a, in an environment like that? And I'm sure some of you have been in places where, where there have been controlling people, perhaps cynical people, uncaring people. Workplace bullying can take many forms, can't it? But in other cases at work, we ourselves can be the bringers of unease. We ourselves can make other people unsettled. Again, I remember several occasions, on three occasions in the 90s and early 2000s, when I had to lay people off who worked for the companies that I was working for. I had to, to bring this news. I remember the first time was the worst. I remember it well because it was 9-12. It was the day after 9-11 in 2001. And these chaps, three of them, two of them who I took on, and one of whom was a Christian, came in not knowing anything, just full of the news of yesterday. The day before, we'd all been sent home because the we were in the center of Manchester and there were rumors that planes could start flying into any cities anywhere in the world. So the CEO sent us home. And people came in the next day and I was supposed to tell these people that their roles are now redundant. It's tough, but that news has to be given. I was upset, but they were much worse. They were far more upset. And so workplaces can be difficult places where we have to bring sometimes difficult feedback, perhaps places of unsavory conversation, perhaps places of intimidation even. Other workplace tensions. How then can we let our conversations be filled with grace and seasoned with salt when this is the real world that's often out there? A few pointers. None of what I say is rocket science, and you probably know it all already, but let's go over it again. I'm going to talk first of all about work relationships, mainly online and offline, and then a little bit at the end about sharing our faith, because Paul talks about that as well. Before that, though, I'll just say one thing, that if you are in a place of difficulty at work, know this, you are not alone. God stands with you, but many other Christians do as well. Many of us have been through, maybe are still going through, tough times at work. You're not alone. The nature of our work may vary widely in a big congregation, but, but the problems that we often face, no matter what our industry, are often the same. Relationships, financial pressures, uh, people who are actually unpleasant for no reason. Bringing grace and bringing, bringing grace and salt, bringing kindness 
to others, I think, can be boiled down to two or three things. First of all, we need to be people at work who are involved. Be involved in what's going on. If people go out for a drink or a meal or to play laser quest or, or some interesting things. Now I've seen axe throwing as a corporate exercise, uh, team bonding, I believe. Then go along. Obviously know where your red lines are, things that you won't go to, but, but do be involved. And make time for conversation. That sounds really easy, but often it's really hard, isn't it? You know, often we hit the ground running early in the morning at 90 miles an hour, and in the evening we're still running at 90 miles an hour. But actually, we can make time for conversations. And I've noticed, as I'm sure you have, um, that often the, the Zoom call, the Teams call, is often a great... We're always waiting for people to join, aren't we? So, or they haven't sorted their audio out or something. We can always have those conversations. What, what's going on? How are you? How's COVID where you are? COVID is taking the place of the weather, hasn't it? <laughs> conversations. It really has. Uh, so even those minutes, listen and don't judge people. Listen. Be a person who listens and who... who, who becomes known as a person who listens. Let me then talk a little bit about online relationships. Online, there can be a total lack of grace, can't there? A complete lack of grace in online relationships. For many of us, much of our, many, much of our work was already online, but even more so after COVID, with uh, um, working online, uh, hybrid working. And grace is hard to find online. I think we've all seen that. We hear about that. And there are reasons. If you've ever wondered why online are people so unpleasant, whether it's WhatsApp or Slack or Teams or whatever it is, why are people email? Why are people unpleasant online? There are reasons for that. A couple of reasons. Speed and scale is probably the main one. The speed of the internet is something that we've never had before. The immediacy of the internet creates a knee-jerk response where someone sends something, and you can reply in almost instantaneously without thinking about it. Things that we would not say face-to-face get said as a knee-jerk reaction online. And scale. Lots of people can see this. Lots of people can be cc'd into an email, and suddenly lots of people are seeing this instantaneous conversation. Things that would not be said face-to-face. And then also the limitations of the Internet. We can never get our whole selves online. We can never get our humanity online. Somebody once said that um, online anger is like road rage. We think there's a physical separation between us and the other person because we're typing into a keyboard and just seeing a screen. We caricature the other person and make them out in our heads to be a monster. Just like we do when there's someone cutting into us uh, in a car. It's very similar, online rage and road rage. It means we caricature them. I've written, if this is of interest to you, quite a bit about this on my website, which you can find at sevenminutes.net, a number of articles. But um, a couple of tips. This is not just work then. This is any online communications that you may be involved in, which which seem to go uh, off course. First of all, first of all, remember the vast majority of people don't mean to be as offensive or as unpleasant as the, as the written communication appears, as the email or the WhatsApp. They don't mean to be as unpleasant as that. Most people don't. It's just the knee-jerk reaction that we're seeing. Even if it's um, a video call, remember you can't get the whole the intonation, the body language, you can't get all that, even in a video call. 
And here's, a, here's something that's helped me. When, if, you, if you get something that makes your blood boil, an email or, or whatever it is, that makes you really angry, that's perhaps cc to people, here's something that I've done, which is don't reply. Don't reply. What I've done in the past, right, I've, did a, I've pressed reply, and I've put my own name instead of the person that it's going to. That's important, right, because of what I'm going to say next. <laughs> And then in the text, I've written a really angry response. All the things I think about them. Well, you're an idiot. And blah, 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 blah. Uppercase and bold and exclamations. You can go for it. And for me, that's helped me. And I've just taken that note, wherever it is, and minimized it. And then I've gone away to do it. I feel, I feel better because I feel I've ranted at someone. And then I don't do anything. And then half a day later or a day later even, I go back to it, open it. And every time I've looked at it and thought, I can't say that. That's, I just can't say that. Because we've calmed down. We've taken our time. We've taken a step back. And then lastly, if you're dealing with someone who is offensive on a thread, on an instant messaging forum, or, or on a Zoom call, if you're dealing with someone who is offensive, remember, pretty much everybody else there is, is perfectly reasonable, and they will make their own decision. You don't have to respond in kind. Other people will see, actually... Actually, this person's a person who's being really objectionable. You're just being quite reasonable. So you will be judged by other people. Let your conversations be filled with grace and seasoned with salt then. Be involved. Make time for conversation. And if provoked, particularly online, be slow to react. Be slow to react. I'm just going to say a word here for any who are managers Um, And I've personally found the best managers I've ever come across are authentic people who do two things really well. First of all, they push their team really hard. They expect the best. They stretch their team. They ask for the best. They push them really hard. And secondly and equally, they care about their team really hard. They really care deeply for them. My manager, who I've had for 10 years, who's just left the company, I said to him, I said, Indra Nils, an engine guy, I said, you've been a brilliant manager for these two reasons. You've pushed me and the team really hard. You've made us do things which I thought were impossible, which I think you thought were impossible when you asked us to do them. You've, you've told us to do those, and somehow we've done them. But you've looked after us really hard. When everybody, anybody's had something at home, you've said, go home, don't forget about work, don't, don't worry about it, we'll cope with it. You go and deal with that problem. You've asked them how it is, you've sent flowers, you've sent the card. When they're back, you've asked them how they are. And we respect that. That brings loyalty. It's not enough to be one or the other. If you're just hard on people, you end up as Pete, which way well, there's no loyalty. If you're just a nice guy, I, I did know a guy who ran the sales team in the Far East. He was a Christian. Really, really nice guy. But he failed. In his work, he failed. It's not enough just to be the nice guy in our workplaces. And then last of all, just in a couple of minutes, really it's topic all on its own, but just in a couple of minutes, because Paul alludes to this. He says, um, I haven't got the quote in front of me, but he says, let your conversations be filled with grace and seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. You may know how to answer everyone. And he's talking about sharing our faith, sharing somehow sharing our faith at work. How do we start, even start, to share our faith in the workplace when they're such difficult, can be such difficult and remote places to church? 
Work is often such a different world. We easily die of embarrassment. And I'm just going to ask the guys to queue up, queue up a video uh, for me. Uh, we're on an alpha course that Nick and Nicola ran a f- couple of weeks ago. And uh, the last talk, uh, Nicky Gumbel talks about embarrassment. And he actually uses the alpha weekend. He, he says, we're on a weekend and everybody's been filled with the Spirit. It's been great. We've worshipped together. What are you going to say tomorrow if someone says, what did you do this weekend? And it's the same for us sometimes, whether we're on a church weekend or just at church. And someone may say, tomorrow, what did you do on Sunday? Well, you know, we went out, you know. Have a look at this. And then there's the cost of being willing to fly his flag in what can be a hostile environment. So it's Monday morning. You're back at work. And you're standing by the water cooler and a few of your colleagues are around. And someone comes up to you and says, oh, hi, nice to see you. Uh, how, how was your weekend? You say, oh, well, my weekend was great, thanks so much. Um, oh, really? What did you do? Oh, I, I, <laughs> I went to the country. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay, where, where did you go? Oh, it's somewhere down near Chichester. Oh, Chichester, I, I know Chichester. Um, where were you near Chichester? Uh, a place called Brackersham Bay. Oh, Brackersham Bay? Oh, I know Brackersham Bay. My, my, my parents live near there. Where, where were you in Brackersham Bay? Oh, we, were, um, we were in a sort of, you know, it's like, it's called um, Richardson's. It's a sort of, you know, it's a, it's a sort of holiday camp. You went, you went to a holiday camp, Richardson, that Richardson face, for your weekend. What on earth were you doing there? <laughs> Oh, well, I'm on, I'm on a course. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're on a course? What, what kind of course is that? Oh, well, it's a sort of... <laughs> it's, uh, it, uh, it's very difficult to describe. It is kind of like... <laughs> It's, it was actually, it's, 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 called, it's, it's called an alt course. <laughs> did, you, did you say the alpha course? I, I, the alpha course, I've heard about that. I've seen, seen all those billboards and things about the alpha course. The alpha course. What, what exactly is the alpha course? I'm really, the alpha course, what is that? <laughs> well, the alpha course is, um, <laughs> it's, um, how would you describe the alpha? It's kind of like um, it, it's, it's basically it's basically Christian. Ah! <laughs> Here's the good news: they are not going to kill you. They may laugh okay. at you. Thank you. But that's about as bad as it's going to get. In we can stop that now. Thanks, thanks. Isn't it great? It's funny, but actually, there's truth in that. And many of us have been there. Where you know, what did you do? You know, well, yeah, it's quite hard if you're a minister. Oh, you know, we were partying all Sunday. It doesn't quite work. But one thing that I have found, <laughs> we were clubbing it all of a sudden. It gets easier as you get older to talk about your faith. It's not always easy, is it, when those relationships are so difficult, when the place itself is so different. Such a different world. And uh, perhaps that was slightly exaggerated. But, you know, we can die of embarrassment. Um, if we are to people, though, if we are people who just follow those precepts, who bring conversations of grace seasoned with salt, there may well be opportunities for people when we are asked, what is it? What is, why do you go to church? You know, what, what is it you actually believe in? And as, uh, 
uh, you know, we need to be prepared to know what to say when that moment arrives. Do, do you know what to say? Would you know what to say if a colleague at work asks you tomorrow, why are you a Christian? Just think about that. Because Peter says in his letter, Paul says here, but Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks the reason for the hope that is in you. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks the reason for the hope that is in you. And then at the end bit's really important. But do it with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect. So what would you say if someone said to you, or what is it that you believe, you know? What is it that you believe? Here is the way that I put it. I would, I say, well, I believe in God. I believe that God is bringing back people who are far away, and He does it through Jesus Christ. I believe in God. I believe that God is bringing back people who are far away. He does it through the historical person of Jesus Christ. Because I think there's a couple of hooks there that people can hook onto. If we immediately launch into sin and a man on a cross, it's alien to people. It's mythical. People, don't, people are not in, don't understand those terms. We're not in the world that we were in 50 years ago where you could assume that people knew a little bit about the Bible. They don't. So we have to start where they are. I would also say, and for me, for me in my life, it's given me meaning and purpose and direction. I think that's the next important thing to say, which is personally, what has it mean, meant for you? What difference has it made to your life? Because no one can argue with that. No one can disprove your personal story. If it's given you purpose and direction, nobody can dispute that. So, I'm going to end it there. The workplace is a huge and real topic. I hope there was something there for you, even if you don't do paid work. But let's pray as we end now. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for those of us who have places of work, for uh, the livelihoods that we can earn, um, for the friends that we have there, for the, for the routine of, going, of doing work. Lord, help us to see you in our workplaces. Uh, help us, Father, to be people, Father, who are listeners, who are not easily angered, who are involved in people's lives at work. Help us, Lord, to have those conversations filled with grace and seasoned with salt. In Jesus' name, amen.